Okay, so you're thinking of buying a new ski. You've read some reviews, you have a handle on what sort of ski you're looking for, and then you walk into a shop that has an entire wall full of colorful options. Question. Aside from the graphics, what's the difference between one ski and the other? How do you tell whether a ski is well-built or poorly built? What sort of things should you be looking for? We've just returned from our review trip to the PNW, and our very first stop in Portland was at the ON3P Skis Factory, where we stopped to talk to ON3P's founder, Scott Andrus. Of all the people I know in the ski industry, there is no one I talk to who obsesses more about the minute details of ski building and finishing than Scott. So I talked to Scott about how to tell the difference between a quality build and a crap build, and we go on to talk about a bunch of other stuff, including ON3P's new ski lineup and Scott's personal favorite, why ON3P loves a good bidet, the real and perceived differences between major ski companies and smaller indie companies, the role of teams at ski companies, plus how and how not to get sponsored. We also talk about why ON3P isn't in the race to build the lightest skis out there, and we field several questions from people who wrote in, and then went on to talk about the cat farm that Scott is probably going to start if he ever stops building skis. My advice is to listen closely at the start of this one. You'll very quickly get the sense that not all skis are created equal, and hopefully you'll be able to size up various skis yourself with a more critical eye. And then after about the first 10 minutes, you can relax a bit and listen to us discuss a bunch of other good stuff, including Scott's future cat farm. Okay, now on to my conversation with Scott Andrus. Well, as some of you probably know, we are out here on our little PNW mini tour doing some ski reviewing, um, getting a nice mix of inbounds and out-of-bounds skiing, and uh, we landed in Portland, um, and our, very literally, our first stop, we just went straight to ON3P um, in size, tiny little rig, which is phenomenally packed. It it, it really can't possibly be be legal, um, our our current driving situation, but... um, Anyway, but we are here at ON3P and uh, came by to see the office and the factory and they've got a bit of a remodel going and hopefully finishing up soon. Um, but talking now with Scott Andrus, the, I think it's technically the head honcho, is that what you go by? President. President? Yeah, it's a official moniker. President and head honcho, or, or just uh, president? Well, if you go, dear leader is the... Is the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, of course. <laughs> but of course, dear leader. Yeah. Uh, it's how I will refer to you for the rest of this conversation. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> here with Scott, and uh, it's been good seeing the, the operation and the outfit. and um, Yeah, so we figured we'd come by for a conversation. Um, especially because Scott was like, hey man, what's up? How come, you know, why aren't you talking to me about this Blister podcast? And so now he's like, oh crap, like you're actually here and you called my bluff and now I have to talk to you. So, um, more or less. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> so, but happy to be here. It's been fun so far. Um, so, uh, I think we should start by, 
with a review, kind of a random review of the 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 dinner recommendation from last night, which was Lardo, I believe. It's yes. a delightful name. Yeah. And it, and it seems like a really cool place, Lardo. Uh, it's great if you eat meat. Yeah. <laughs> what I can't say I recommend. I didn't have a great experience, which in hindsight, when you when you when you say it out loud, it you know doesn't really sound like a surprise. But I got talked into ordering like an asparagus sandwich, and um, I it's not it's maybe not the best. It's not the it's probably not the finest thing on the menu. I wouldn't go that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I would agree. Yeah, it doesn't help when you spill a whole beer. On oh yeah, sandwich. <clears throat> that's right. It was an as- asparagus sandwich. Kind IPA. of, a, I, <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that part of it. Yeah. So anyway, but we we got off to kind of a rocky, a little bit of a rocky uh, uh, start. But it's it's all been uphill since then. So, yeah. Um, but one of the things um, I think of the people I know around the ski industry and, and ski builders, I think the thing about Scott that stands out is. I definitely spend the most time talking about um, the finishing process, finishing skis um, with Scott, probably than I do more than anybody I talk to. So um, I think one of the things that would be certainly a place for us to start, and it's something I've been thinking about for a while, is I think you have pretty much everybody, right, Um, who is thinking about, you know, who to buy a ski from or if they're going into a shop and looking at a wall full of skis and you know you're thinking like well I like some of those graphics more than others or whatever or I'm this type of skier but I think it'd be interesting to talk about how does someone actually walk up and tell the difference in say build quality or or the finish quality of one ski versus another and what are some of the what are some of the obvious um, cues they can look for, should look for, and basically just be kind of a better educated consumer, um, you know, as opposed to just being like, that top sheet's cool, that one's less cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm known sort of as a ski, I don't know, judge, dork. judgey. Dork, yeah, dork I think is, is the pretty word. accurate. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, usually when I'm in a ski shop, I try to check out, I don't know, 20 skis, something like that, just walk through bunch of different manufacturers see you know how their finish is you know how the qc is stuff like that um so i guess my process per se is uh like i'll start looking at the base structure so is it consistent uh especially like in the tips and tails you see a lot of inconsistent base structure out there right now um you know what's the pattern like is it maybe a little too deep or a little too core or uh you know fine um i'll look at edge meat this is like a probably one of the worst edge meat yeah so like it's it's where the edges either come together edge to edge or say in a three-quarter i thought you were talking about like edge the form of meat the adjective edge like edge meat that should be a thing that probably is a thing okay but yeah so it's like where the edges meet yeah right so you'll see you know either really poor meats you'll see a gap that's either empty or filled with epoxy You'll see cut angles that are inconsistent, so they'll either be cut in too too far, or, um, you know, and that's all stuff that has to be filled. Uh, and we see like that's probably the worst thing I see is just like really shittily done edges. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. it's okay to say shit, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and then I'll move up to check like usually the the tip spacer to sidewall gap, um, which shouldn't exist. So it's like the meat from where the sidewall in a sandwich construction or even like a hybrid meets the uh, the tip spacer, and we'll see like I've seen like sort of like an induction zone kind of thing where like a tip spacer will dive underneath the sidewall or weird stuff like that, or uh, you know again just gaps like stuff that's not tight. Mm-hmm. Um, what else we'll look at? Uh, we have this thing we, we call bacon VDS. VDS is like a it's a vibration dampening strips, yep. but it's functionally a, just a bonding material. Um, and we've seen in a lot of cap skis by like a really major uh, European manufacturer, it, like you want consistent pressure, um, you know, so everything's really tight and kind of linear and parallel. And their VDS, like it dances, like up and down, looks like it from the side, like a piece of bacon kind of. and I mean, that's just like an indication of not enough pressure or the parts aren't fitting totally right. And we see that like all over on one of their really good selling skis. So stuff like that, you know, kind of gets to me. I'll check, uh, you know, if it's a sandwich construction, top sheet bevel, see what they're doing there. Like, is it consistent? Uh, is it enough to actually prevent top sheet chipping? A lot of people aren't doing much. And I mean, that's like the number one complaint with sandwich construction skis is that the, uh, the tops chip. Uh... I'll check the detune, if it exists at all. Yeah. A lot of times it doesn't. And, uh, you know, then sometimes we'll check symmetry. So, like, base to base. Is the ski actually symmetrical when you press the camber out? Stuff like that. So, and probably the number, number like, two things we see are um, structure that isn't consistent. Uh, base structure. Yeah, yeah. right. And then, um, like, some sort of gaps where parts just aren't fitting tight. And we see that. All, all the time so and is that more in your view an indication of just a relatively sloppy build process or is that a is that suddenly a worry about durability I mean that, that's the question with a lot of this stuff is for a lot of people these are not durability concerns it's just finish concerns and it's like if you're spending $700 you want to know that the person who assembled your ski like did it right from the start so you know on that on the huge industrial scale that those guys are building skis you know stuff's usually assembled in the cassette um and kind of held together and that's where you know you're just going to kind of naturally get variation because there's no check like they're they're assembling that in layup you know like so we assemble our cores before they go into layup so we can check okay every every seam is tight everything looks good you know we're there they're in layup there's no sanity check that says okay you know this edge is you know a half a mil short of the edge notch right um, so, you know, for them doing, I mean, they're doing a lot of skis. It doesn't matter really, but, uh, you know, for small batch stuff, it, like, I think it's very important that so, it looks good and it's done right from the start. So hmm. yeah, structure does matter. I mean, if, you know, bad structure will ruin a ski. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Thinking about for, you know, next year, which you're, already thinking about and, and uh, going to be building soon, uh, soon-ish. Um, Monday. We'll be, <laughs> that's soon. Yeah, we've been tr- trickling through, but we'll start full bore on Monday. Yeah. And that will be year what for you guys producing? Um, well, we really got going in August of 09, right? So that was year one, or that was like the first time we moved into any factory space, really. I think this will be the eighth line we've done. Mm-hmm. So I think we're seven years, basically eight lines. Yeah. So, 
some music once. And is it getting is it getting easier now? Is it getting how do you think about, you know, going into this production cycle? I mean, we've talked a bit about some of the remodel things happening and and um some of the things you're excited about that you can do now or do in an easier um maybe do better. Um has it what's the what's that process been like in terms of you know you just learn every year you do things a little bit better every year or do you feel like there have been over these past production cycles like have there been jumps um specific jumps or you know what i mean yeah i mean there's definitely steps like um you know bringing cnc in-house was huge right the ability to you know cut all our own parts is very important um but it's constant like it's not yeah, obviously you see these remodels right now, but we're constantly tweaking and improving stuff in the year. Um, you know, and like we're pretty lean, so like our feedback loop now is really short. It wasn't when we started. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was not lean at all. But, you know, now we can change, like we'll change stuff and, you know, it can be running on the floor in less than a week, you know, real quick if we think it's the right way to go. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's. You know, I think I've said we've spent as much time building a ski factory as we have building skis. Yeah. And that's true. And, like, we're, you know, even this year we didn't think this remodel was going to be substantial. And we ended up completely redoing layup, completely doing the, the wood room, uh, all our metal. Like, the whole entire process changed. You know, shipping changed. It's just, like, it's interesting how it's constantly evolving. Yeah. Um, hopefully, hopefully this is the last major remodel. I think, um, you know, we we do all our uh, parts in-house. Like We process everything from raw material except for top sheets right now, top sheets and bases. So that's the next step probably. And yeah, then we'd be fully operational. So, but we'll see. I mean, we're pretty, pretty dialed in right now mm-hmm. building a lot of skis. So. And then you get to just start thinking about less about the production equipment and now just about the lineup. And what kind of what you want to do with the lineup? It never ends thinking about production. Like I mean, we have you know two production meetings a week where you know review the process. Like we're constantly everything in the shop has a standard work, um, and that's constantly being reviewed and improved on and tracked. And you know, I mean, you saw how many steps we yeah. have in here. I mean, I think we were looking at shrink wrapping skis is like fifteen steps or something ridiculous yeah. like that. So you know, do that throughout the whole process, and it's crazy. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that never stops. Ski line, um, you know, we're always thinking and tinkering and trying to decide where to go. Um, we're definitely kind of on this, like, moving somewhat in two-year cycles right now, you know, with, with slight tweaks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some of that's been on the retail end. Like, we were, you know, a couple of years where we were moving kind of too fast for our retailers, yep. where, you know, say you introduce a product and, you know, they get in at September and suddenly you have a new brand in January, right? It's really hard to build brand yeah. equity. Um, you know, so we're trying to build, you know, kind of, I call it like a smarter ski line, you know, a line that's more logical and, you know, easier for our retailers to sell. Mm. So. Yeah, I've said it before, but I, I'm i a huge fan of the at least a two-year cycle. I just, I don't, I think zero people lose on that. Yeah, you know? well, um, what we like to do too is like, you know, we'll tweak stuff, so... You know, we'll do side cut tweaks and, but minor, you know, with where it's like, it's a, it's an incremental jump, um, not a full, full redo. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I agree. It's kind of the way to go. Hmm. 
I think we have to, one of the things we have to talk about is the fact that you have a bidet in the factory. We do have a bidet. I don't really know what else I have to say about that other than the fact that you have one. But best forty dollars we've ever spent. Forty bucks. Yeah. So you can you can you can upgrade Amazon. Yeah. Forty dollars. Forty dollars. I think you can get cheaper ones, I think. But wow. yeah. Time saver. You use a lot less toilet paper. Yeah. Time is money. I think that should, you know, what's the, you know, the ON3P tagline, who builds your skis? Like, I think maybe you might want to think about, you know, made in a factory, made in a civilized factory. It is And then you just have a picture, like, of the bidet. could be kind of a new, you know, like an American flag on one and then, like, a bidet on the other. I mean, it's, that's very cosmopolitan. Yeah. Maybe, like, an EU flag to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just to show. I mean, if you know, yeah. no, you're welcome uh, for that marketing advice. By the way, totally free. Yeah, yeah. I I recommend them to everybody. I actually, our creative director, that was what I got him for his wedding. So. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm glad that we could break this news yeah. on the podcast. I always like to feel like we're breaking some news, and mm-hmm. I think the your love of a good bidet. You should probably link to the Amazon page in the description. You're right. I should do that. I will. I will. Um, yeah, so you're like you're the bidet guy now. Like you're the, you're the, the bidet guy in like the ski industry. I think. Well, they've been well received here. So wow, you're welcome, people. You're welcome for that bit of for that bit of news. Um, you also have a really slippery floor here, which is fun because you can kind of like just break out dancing like at any moment, like you're smooth. But like I, I am, I am worried about falling down more than I think I've ever been. You get used to it. <laughs> Um, so okay, we we try to mitigate where you know high traffic areas, but uh, there's been a few. So few in some O and three P factory, kind of slippery floors, but there is a bidet. That's um, the plus. Makes up for the floor. Yeah, the only people who really struggle are dogs. I guess not people, but uh, dogs struggle <laughs> specifically in the office. So yeah, they try to like they get from mat to mat, sort of like the entry mat into the. The factory floor mat so hmm. i think we're, we're thinking of buying like um like dog feet booties sort of so there's like a shop pair so like when a dog comes in and struggling we can like help the dog out get across the floor yeah so that's what concrete floors will do <laughs> what in this this current line the 1516 line um i think i know the answer but what's your personal favorite ski in the line for whatever reason uh I mean, the Billy Goat's always pretty important to me, just because I, you know, and I know some people don't have the uh, the touch to enjoy the RS, but, uh, you know, I think when you talk about it, I mean, I could even, you know, later show you on the cat and like, it's a pretty fascinating concept that, you know, no one's, no one's really doing full reverse from center forward and creating side cut. So, you know, I think that's something we're pretty proud of and really enjoy what it offers, Um you know, if I were to add like a ski to my quiver right now, it'd be a Cartel 108 probably, just because mm-hmm. it, you know, you can just use it in pretty much everything. Um, I prefer the the jib skis as like an everyday ski, yep. and then the directional skis a powder day ski because you're just kind of messing around every day, and then you know go wider on mm-hmm. uh, deep days and something you can kind of charge more on. So the Ren 108 though, also is uh, definitely definitely a really interesting ski. I think so. We've like 
you know, it's more playful, it floats better now, but it's kind of just as stable. So hopefully it, uh, you know, kind of opens that up for, because the Ren 112 is a lot of ski for a lot of people. Hmm. Um, just, you know, which it fit what it did well. Um, but this is going to be a little more versatile for most people. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What are the, <clears throat> what are the skis for you right now that are, that you're moving the most of? Um, are there, is it, is there a clear number one? Is there kind of a close one and two? Yeah. Um, I, one A, B and C are the Magnus, which was filthy rich. It will be in the Magnus next year. Uh, cartel 98, cartel 108. And then like number two would be the Billy Goat. So those are kind of the top four. Uh-huh. Jeffrey 114 did pretty well. We'll see how the new 116 does. Um, you know, the Jesse, uh, this year the 100, next year the Jesse 98 did surprisingly well. It was actually, ten, like the Jesse line was 10% of our volume hmm. in year one. Wow. Um, which was good, you know. So uh, we're excited about that line and the feedback on that line is really good. What, what, tell me about the Jesse. The Jesse is basically our, our take on a, a women's ski, um, you know, which is kind of like an interesting topic as of late. Um, but it's basically, you know, it's our men's ski line, which, you know, has been dialed over a long time, just kind of slightly tailored differently. So, you know, primarily what we do is we go with a slightly lighter composite. So say with like a 76 Jesse 98 versus Cartel 98, we'll go with like a 19 ounce glass versus a 22. Uh, and then usually what we do is we'll decrease the radius slightly. So we're talking like a change from like 19 to 17.5 range, um, basically twofold. We want the ski to flex a little easier for someone with lower body weight. And then specifically with the elliptical side cut we use, uh, basically the more ski flexes, the more it turns. And if you're not flexing the ski, like it kind of runs a little flat. So we want the ski to kind of engage, um, you know, easier. So we're trying to basically make the turn initiation a little easier for someone who's, you know, not 160 or 170, but is, is lighter weight. So other than that, though, they're pretty similar. Like we put guys on the Jessies all the time and vice versa. And, and you know, everyone likes them. So, yeah. Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit, but the what do you do if you're looking at, you know, men's skis versus women's skis? And does that even make any sense? Or is it you know, do or do you just do you know the same ski with a different top sheet or and and I think so. What what we did for our first six line or whatever was we did um you know we called them size specific like we've had sixty ones on the line for several years seventy ones you know which you know sixty ones are functionally either uh, like a youth ski like a teenager ski or a women's ski and you know where the transition had to happen for us was the move to heavily retail right because. You know, it's one thing if a girl knows on 3 p and knows that she's going to get a ski that's, like, designed for a high-level skier. Um, it's a lot harder to sell that ski in a retail environment if it's a men's ski, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you, you've got to tailor to what the market is, um, you know. And so we, you know, we wanted to introduce a line that was, you know, you could actually market as a women's ski and then kind of do our tweaks to it that we thought were, you know, appropriate while keeping it in on 3 p So... And how much you tell me about the feedback on that? I mean, before before you went to production with it, um... we worked with several girls who really helped, kind of like guide, you know, what what they wanted to see and what they didn't like. And I mean, there's like I said, there's been a lot of talk of, you know, kind of like 
taking men's skis and slapping flowers and stuff on them, right? And, you know, that's what everyone's trying to avoid right now. And, I mean, for us, like, that was easy because, you know, we've never done that. And, like, we probably couldn't even sell that ski. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we got good feedback, good testing. The demo testing and the sales have been surprisingly good for a first-year product, um, you know, for a new brand especially, like, as we think of, you know, the individual ski, like the Jesse line, uh, it took off pretty quick so mm -hmm. yeah we're we i wish we had made the decision to do it sooner hmm. so interesting but yeah i mean long and short on the you know we had you know we had angel collinson on the podcast and by the way get well soon angel um i think you just recently had an acl surgery so um pulling for you uh but she was you know we were talking a bit about that and i mean Angel skis hard. She skis hard, way harder than most, and by most underscore most guys out there. And you know, so again, tailoring to needs. But it, it sounds, it sounds like for you, it really is primarily like, what do you weigh, right? I mean, it sounds like that that's is. What, I mean, that's what we always said for yeah. the sixty ones before. Like it's a size specific ski. If you're a good, good skier, male or female, like you're a good skier. It's, that's kind of the bottom line. So, um, you know. We didn't like kind of, when we started the sixty ones. It wasn't really looking at it as a as a female ski or something like that. It was just looking at it as a this is the size range, right? So, I mean that those principles are still kind of the same. I mean you could, you know, the Cartel ninety eight and the Jesse ninety eight are fairly interchangeable. Um, you know, a lot of people probably even couldn't tell the differences. So, mm -hmm. yeah. What what kind of um what kind of feedback are you hearing from, um, let's say, ON3P existing customers? I mean, are you hearing any kind of consensus, hey, we want this type of a ski, um, or, or are you primarily like, is it more coming in-house? Like, we think we'd be interested here in doing this, and we'll put it out there, but what kind of... Is, I mean, you, I'm interested in the question of cons if there is something like a consensus feedback that you're getting from your users. I mean, we should probably be better about collecting it. Hmm. Um, that's something, uh, you know, we want to get better at. But, you know, feedback for us is generally positive. Like, we don't get a lot of bad feedback, which can be hard. I mean, uh, you know, one of the things, especially, like, when you're ski testing, like, feedback that doesn't have negatives isn't helpful, mm -hmm. right? So, um, yeah, I mean, we get... A lot of emails like saying these are the best skis I've ever yeah. used, all that kind of stuff, and that's great. Um, the line end, I mean, it's kind of like where I've wanted the skis to go, I guess, and the rest of the, the team here. Um, you know, like we, you know, we'll have meetings and talk about where the line is and what people want to change, and you know, it's definitely not always a consensus of what you know what all the employees here want to ski. Um, you know, especially as it gets say into like flex. You know, some people like softer skis, some people like stiffer skis, so, uh, but it's, I don't know, it's definitely interesting to kind of, like, track and see it morph. It's constantly, like, we're constantly thinking about, you know, what do we think would, you know, make more sense, you know, and, I mean, you'll see little things, like, you know, we went from 106 to 108 this year, say, with the, the cartel, uh, you know, and that decision was kind of twofold. It was one, you know, we were finding, we kind of felt 106 was a little skinny, everyday west coast you know and we're obviously in a heavier snowpack than you get say intermountain and then two you know we were trying to make buying decisions basically easier right and that's one of the things where i'm talking about like making the ski line smarter right so we'd have people who 
can't decide between, say, a Cartel 98 and a Renegade 102, and they'll say, I want it 98 underfoot, but I'm a directional skier, uh, should I buy the Cartel 98? And the answer is no. You know, the change from 98 to 102 is negligible. Um, but, you know, people will try to, like, fit the ski in, in what they ideally want. Um, you know, or the other thing you see a lot of people struggle with, say, do I want a 106 or a 98? You know, so we're trying to basically define what the ski's purpose is more, right? So, you know, the 108 is an everyday West Coast ski. You know, 98 is kind of like a West Coast kind of park or a East Coast or Intermountain hard snow. You know, it's just trying to make it make sense to people. Because there's a lot, I mean, as you said, there's a lot of ski options right out, you know. So, you, you know, whatever you can do to make buying decisions easier uh, and make the line more logical helps. Mm-hmm. So, and for us in here too. Yeah. So. So we've got on the Renegade side, um, we've got an 88, 98, and 108 coming for next season. And um, we're going to be putting some time on those. Um, but how are you thinking about those three skis? And of course, I'll tell you if you're right or not. Okay. Just kidding. I, yeah. that, was a, that was just a jerk thing to say. But how are you, how are you thinking about, you know... Is there is are you thinking like well one of those three skis is sort of the highest performer of the group, one of them we specifically are thinking about. Um, let's make this kind of the the easiest ski in the group, or or is it really like you're going to notice? Would you say I bet you notice this real consistency and kind of on snow feel? I mean, you take it's all about what the function of the ski is, right? So say with the one hundred eight, I mean that's like. Uh, directional west coast everyday ski right Mm -hmm. so you know design wise they all share a lot of characteristics and they just kind of have the same base and then we move a different direction based upon what the function is and what kind of snow it's going to see um you know like the 88 has got a lot more carbon than the other two like it's full with top and bottom carbon on it you know we want it really damp really responsive like really torsionally stiff um yeah so you'll see that kind of change we're on the the wider two you know, we don't want necessarily as much torsional stiffness because it will feel planky. Yeah. Right. So, you obviously see little variations like that. Um, you know, but the backbone is kind of the same. And I kind of think it was like the natural progression and how, you know, at least myself would want the skis. You know, as far as radius. Um, you know, if you're on a hard day ski, I want the ski to engage. And I want it to carve. Yeah. You know, every day I want slow carvability, but if it gets soft, I want to be able to drive it a little bit. And then say with the 108, you know, I want to let it run. Right, I'm skiing it on a bigger day, usually bigger terrain. So, you know, similar backbone, just tailored each way. So, yeah. I'm curious to see what you think. Yeah. If you had to walk out of 0-3P tomorrow, you're not allowed to make skis anymore. What are you going to go do for a living? That's a tough question. I haven't thought about it very much. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um take a vacation for a little bit <laughs> uh i don't know I, i'm kind of like i think maybe this is especially my parents will be like i've never heard that but i maybe like work with animals or something like that work with animals like yeah. be a dolphin trainer no like i don't know help help cats or something you do love cats <laughs> I like cats so i don't know like a cat farm and all yeah, cat farm. you'd cats. be like what's the is there's a crazy cat lady like that's a thing but you'd be like crazy cat yeah gentleman yeah i guess so. you would be that i think probably i'm yeah. pretty close to that already yeah so dangerous i don't know i mean you know i was always interested in the medical field that was what i studied so 
that you know still interests me. I think it'd be a really interesting field. I would need to play it smarter. Yeah, but, uh, you're gonna need to get smarter. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. What about dream job, but not with anything to do with the ski industry? Are you going to be a doctor or just crazy cat gentleman? Yeah, those are, I mean, I'm doing my dream job, so it's kind of hard to have a dream job outside of this field. I mean, yeah, this is basically all I've done since college straight and in half of college too, so yeah, I can't, I don't want to think, you know, I don't want to do anything else. So you started in, well, we'll say August 2009. It's like the first factory. Yeah. Yeah. Are you at the point where you get vacations? I could probably take more time off if I, yeah. But you I mean, could take more. You I don't. Probably, yeah, I mean, I like working. Like yeah. I don't, you know, I'll usually hear, you know, on the weekends at least one day, um, you know, and work pretty long hours right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like a little more balance. I think it's important, um, you know, and it's better than it's ever been. Like there were, t- I mean, first year we were. I mean, we were working like 16 hour days living on the, on a couch at the factory. Like my cats lived at the factory, literally. Um, you know, we've had years where we had production issues here, where we were here doing six twelves, like the whole factory trying to get things right. Um, you know, we have normal weekends now. Yeah. I mean, it's getting better. Um, we obviously want to continue to, you know, get more efficient in our production. And I mean, that's the thing that's, goes to I'll be like a little production like indie warrior here but it's like it's very different what we do than a lot of our competitors do like you know I can like literally right now I can hear there's a D flasher building skis right now um and you know like we have 8400 square feet in almost all of its warehouse right and you know all of our time is spent building most of it you know like it's just very different from brands that outsource and and uh you know, just pay someone else to do their work. So I think, I mean, that's, I just, I see like a big divide in, you know, I don't, a lot of people probably don't between like what we do or what like Luke and Casey do at moment, you know, or Praxis or Folsom and like the guys who are like actually building something. And I think, I don't know, I'm kind of on the opinion that if you're going to slap your name on something, you should build it yourself, sort of. Um, I know some people don't have the capacity to do it and that's fine. And it's not like there are brands that are outsourcing that aren't bringing stuff to the table. Um, but, uh, I definitely, I, I just, I have a lot of respect for the people who do it on their own. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Some of them could do it better. <laughs> like, I mean that, and it's kind of funny to say this, but it would make my job probably easier. You know, it's like, there have been a lot of crappy Indies that came before us that like, you'll go talk to a dealer and like, yeah, I don't talk to Indies cause they're, you know, their skis are terrible. And it's like, well, have you had skis from our factory like it's literally our own factory um so yeah yeah that can be tough yeah it's you and i were talking about this a little earlier but again that whole i mean i think you you phrase it this way just this kind of a false dichotomy like this sort of big companies on one side and indie companies on the other side and it's like that just doesn't break things down yeah it's enough it's yeah, it's a macro view, and it's not the case at all. I mean, I, I think I've probably posted this online a number of times because people always try to go the indies, or it's like, yeah, you hate the big brands. Like, no, we don't hate the big brands. Like, skiing needs the big brands, the good ones, 
right? To, you know, I mean, we don't have the revenue to put on huge competitions or, you know, fly a bunch of people to Alaska and stuff like that. And, you know, we need the reach and we need the sport to grow. And the majors are really important in making that happen. So uh, I think this, like, false narrative that indies and majors totally hate each other. Well, maybe they hate us, but I don't hate them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's... I think I've always said there's like there's shitty majors and there's shitty indies and there's yeah. great majors and there's great indies and you know hopefully skier is better skiing is better for the you know the good ones rising to the top yeah. you know at, at whatever size so yeah yeah and yeah I think just it's I mean it's always comforting in life whether we're talking politics or anything else to like have these sort of comfortable generalizations so like yeah indies you know they're making skis with soul or all indies like it's all garbage right and it's like well that's a nice lazy but probably comforting generalization to kind of hold on to and i think again you know it just it's but it's yeah it doesn't well it's and it's you know some of it's true uh, but it's not necessarily like a reason to buy i mean you're you know we were talking about a little earlier where it's like yeah every indie has soul and it's like that's great if their skis suck it doesn't matter right like their skis still suck yeah and there are a lot of skis out there that are garbage right now. So, you know, and there are a lot of great skis too. I mean, like it's a good time to be a skier because you have a lot of choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to work through what you're going to buy. That's that's hard. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, I just think it's it's kind of an interesting time. I, there's like a new ski company every week, which is hard to keep track of. Yeah. Um, I think it's a pretty insane time to try to start a ski company. To be honest, mm. I mean. You're pushing into a market that's hard. I mean, even now, like we have people who will be like, we'll do a, you know, a, like a regional demo at Meadows, say, like our local hill, and people are like, oh, you're like, who are you? You're in Portland, and it's like, yeah, we've been, we've here, been here a while. <laughs> so, you know, it's hard, you know, especially with limited budgets. So, I mean, our and that's the thing, you know, it's like our budget is spent on labor to build skis and a ski factory, right? I mean. Those are, you know, we've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in equipment, easy. Uh, you know, the electric, electrical bill, the the rent cost. I mean, our rent is not cheap, right? I mean, it would be a lot easier if we had, you know, just this office and, you know, 800 square feet of warehouse. So just for shipping, right? So it's, yeah, it's just interesting to kind of see where the money goes, you know, and all our money goes back into production, at least at this point. So... Yeah, I mean, we're bringing on, you know, another close to 100K in machines this year alone, right? And, you know, getting close to done on that train, at least for a little while. But we're, you know, everything is getting pretty much reinvested in the factory to make the factory as efficient and and dialed as possible. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, I have a question for you. Um from one of our readers a um, little bit of a long question but we'll we'll just I'm reading it right off the bat so uh, we'll see if, if this one makes sense but um, from Warren um, he says seems like the ON3P lineup changes a lot year to year models coming and going changes to existing models names swapping around etc um, like Jeffrey 110 to 14 Cartel 116 uh, the Billy Goat is one of the only constants, and even those have seen revisions. Uh, does Scott see this level of fiddling, refinement, uh, whatever you want to call it, a result of getting the company and lineup running? Um, 
get sorry is it a result of getting the company in line up up and running and once everything is dialed things will be more stable or will the annual tweaking and shuffling of the lineup continue and be a feature of the brand going forward um or am i just imagining that l3p tweaks their lineup models names more than anyone else i mean there's a lot of tweaking industry-wide i mean that's like a lot of the majors are so far out that you see less tweaking. I mean, the Indies, like, if we wanted right now for the Cartel 116 to be 118, like, we could build one tomorrow, get it on snow on Saturday, and be like, okay, this improvement's good, and move forward. I mean, that's how quick we can do stuff. So um, I think our tastes have changed a lot, and that's where, I mean, you saw this whiskey's getting really wide, and they've kind of, you know, they've kind of rubber-banded back and getting thinner again, right? So where... You know, a couple of years ago, we were like, oh, every day I want a 110 ski. You know, I mean, that's what changed with the Jeffrey. We started at 108. We're like, oh, we can go a little wider. And we ended up at 114. And then, you know, we're back now where it's like, okay, you know, our flex profile is a little more dialed. Our rocker profile is a little smoother. And we don't need quite that much width to float as well, where it's like, okay, we can get by with less weight, right? So we can go thinner again. So it's, you know, it's constantly tweaking. And, you know, it, it definitely on some levels like our changing taste. Um, so I think on the branding end specifically, you're seeing us like start to come out of that really confusing period where like, you know, at one point we had 12 brands or something like that. I mean, you've got the Tycoon, the Visic, the Renegade, right? Where now we're at say a three ski Renegade line. So you're going to see the movement towards that. So at least, um, you'll see stuff kind of get a little more organized. So I think, you know, we're basically two years into that. Right now, this will be year three of kind of like focusing the branding. Um, but you know, stuff you know, we can we can change stuff quickly, so we'll change it as we think is best for the company, yeah. So, and best for the skis, so yeah. And if that's fast, then it's fast, yeah, yeah. And it does, I mean, just talking about all the changes, like in just in this conversation from the factory and the updates and the equipment updates. And I mean, it does seem like it all kind of goes hand in hand. It is a, it is an evolving product and chain tastes change. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I think I asked you a question similar to this sometime back. Um, and cause I, I sort of like that idea of the like perfected product, right. That you refine and refine over years and you kind of boil it down to this, I don't know if and I yet, believe in that. Huh? I don't know if I believe yeah. in that, though. I mean, I I think you should constantly be, you know, why are we doing this? Like, what can we do better? You know, what is this going to do? And, you know, I mean, we'll make changes, you know, on a prototype end. We're like, oh, all right, that didn't work, right? And we'll bring it back. I mean, we're like, when you called me the other day, I'm like, yeah, I'm designing a Billy Goat prototype right now that's, you know, we're already testing something for not this next season, but the year after now, right? Um, you know, so we try to... And it might not work, right? Mm-hmm. But it's you just you got to collect as much data as you can, try different things. Some things won't work. I mean, and that's you know, it's just the way it goes. It gets a little hard when you have fifteen models, yeah, right. And you got you know, and that was the one thing too. Is like we're trying to kill models that don't sell, you know, which five people a year might be mad that a sixty-one or a seventy-one Jeffrey one fourteen is gone. But you know, we'll we sell more you know 76 magnuses in a week than we do that ski all year right so you just have to make production decisions that make logical sense mm-hmm. the other thing is you know it, it's not just consumers that have um like buyer's fatigue you know 
dealers, it's like, you know, I got to understand the O3P line. It's, you know, it's 65 skis, right? Yeah. So I, you know, so it's like, if we can make decisions for them that they likely are going to make anyway, we'll just make them right now and then kind of, you know, pull those skis out of the line. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you guys have, I think it's fair to say, like kind of famously not been chasing the, the like big weight reduction movement in your skis and, and thinking specifically about the steeples, um, your ON3P's touring skis, um, those are still coming in, you know, they're, they're not playing in that arena of like, yeah, let's... they're not a, you don't want to do a long approach unless you're David Steele. <laughs> basically yeah yeah and that's you know our so we've had i mean this is probably one of our most talked about design conversations which is like what way do we go here because you know we've been testing we've tested bcom which is the you know the cloud core it's the, the what's faction using everyone's loving that core and like we don't i don't like how it skis um personally and that's just you know luckily i get to call that shot yeah. uh you know we've tested hybrids of that with bamboo we've tested you know we're testing polonia of course the which is, you know, the hot shit right now everyone's using, you know, trying Sitka Spruce, which is kind of like in between Bamboo and Polonia. So mm. a little heavier. It's local too, which we like. But, uh, you know, and we're trying, I mean, we've been trying like some pretty weird core designs too where, you know, you've got like sort of like tuning fork type stuff. And our, our thing is that like we really like how our skis feel. They have a really unique feel. And we don't want to just like sell out for weight and lose kind of like the identity of our product. Cause there's like, you can go get any super light, decent touring ski right now. And that's cool. Like, and it's great that that option exists. Um, but you know, so like we're, our, our take was we want to take what we like about our skis and make it, you know, as light as we can while keeping the feel, you know, cause we can like, we're still running full length UHMW sidewalls. We're still running uh, 2.5 by 2.5 edge, 4,001 Dursurf, like one eight base. I mean, these are what we put on all of our skis. And, you know, we haven't, like, we've talked about cutting that stuff out to lighten it, and it's just, like, it doesn't seem worth it to kind of sell out, you know, to something that's not us. You know, I'm not saying we won't continue to try to get lighter. Like, we're doing a lot of composite testing right now, and that's kind of the direction we see going. Um, you know, that, and if we can find a, you know, a hybrid core bamboo, something that we like, uh, you know, we'll talk about moving to it. But we've had David on... Um, like Polonia bamboo and you know he's like yeah they're good they're he, he, he basically says they're like 80% of the performance level and it just doesn't seem worth um, losing that much performance for you know 100 grams to us um, to some people they obviously do um, and that's fine and there's a lot of other options for those people out there mm-hmm. you know I mean our take is that it's the like you know it's the most durable well-built touristy out there and you know the people who who want something that's gonna rally hard on the way down can get it and then you know get in better shape and keep up with your friends on the lighter skis i guess Mm -hmm. so i think that's i really i like that right like i think a a, seems like a big part of my job is just helping locate helping people locate all these skis and and you know and it is cool and and i i uh it's just startling like we're gonna go get on this Blizzard Zero G ninety five, and that thing is coming in at one thousand three hundred and fifty grams. It's in, it's in crazy to me, I can, but like OG cease and desist cores were like like nine fifty, just the core. Yeah, you know and that was pre tour lamp and stuff like that. But yeah, so 
so it's pretty crazy to see it. But I, I think, you know, we're going to see see how that thing feels. And, um, you know, for long approaches, um, this could be, maybe be the yeah. ticket. But I think it's really cool that, you know, it's it's nice to see for someone's like, hey, man, skis are expensive, and I can't have this ski break, and I, I want to pull the trigger on something that I think I can have for multiple years. And it seems like that, you know, I, I'm glad that while we're seeing these, like, impressive slash you know eyebrow raising like weights coming down on these touring setups i think that is a very legitimate thing it's like listen who wants the heavier durable powerful touring ski and and that that's still a thing that somebody's doing that right yeah i mean and like i've been i'm sure you and i've discussed like somewhat critical of like i would say i mean maybe 10 percent of the people that ever bought duke's toured on them right Mm -hmm. you know and or toured on them more than five times right you know and like you know i kind of these skis are obviously they're not like i mean i guess david's crazy like he went up denali with stuff like this but uh you know you know they're like i kind of view them as slack country or you know one day touring skis and you know it's it's kind of our I, i just i think it's really dangerous to like sell your brand out and your product out if you don't believe in the product i mean that's like what it comes down to is that you know the lighter options we've tested with the, you know the flax core and stuff like that. Just that's like it's not an O and three P. We're building someone else's ski with our logo on it, and uh-huh. that's kind of bullshit. So, how how similar in shape and design is like the say that there's a steeple ninety eight and the one hundred eight. There's a lot of similarity to the Ren. The ninety eight's Ren based. Okay. And then the one hundred eight is. Is Billy Goat. So since, like, I guarantee people are going to ask this question, like, on the the Steeple 98, you know, if someone's like, well, what if I just kind of want a lighter weight Wren, is that, are you comfortable saying, like, well, then get a Steeple and yeah. use that thing for 50-50? Yeah, we'll have people who say, I want a Billy Goat, um, you know, but I'm, uh, I'm, like, I'm 5'10 and I'm 140, yep. right? And it's like, you know, I, I, I want a longer ski, but I just don't have the weight to push the ski around so you know just so, so take a steeple 112 mm-hmm. right you get fairly similar float you know like where and we have a lot of people ski steeples inbounds too um you know you you gain slow speed maneuverability a little easier to ski it's not going to wear your legs down as much the disadvantage is that speed it gets knocked around more you know so you just have to decide like who you are and yep. you know what's going to be a fit for you so yeah no that's but we definitely sell people on skis that way. There, it's like, yeah, I'm. I just I don't want a ski that can push me around too much. Yep. So, one other question, um, uh, Sanders <clears throat> Pro model, discuss. Yeah. Work in progress. He's uh, so we had a pro model all designed, ready for release at SIA, and what he's finding is that you know as his skiing is kind of. It, where he's skiing is changing, right? So, like, kind of what he's known for is, like, you know, say the the helmet cam ripping around Snowbird and, you know, he wants something playful but still stable. Uh, you know, he's now moving more and more into the backcountry and, like, bigger pillow lines and, you know, a lot of stuff where something necessarily that center-mounted wasn't ideal uh, and that soft. So we're, we're, we have, like, several kind of design directions going right now uh some like res jib type prototype designs some more like kaler based but with less tail rocker uh so yeah we're 
it's going to take a while before we get something that we think is totally dialed and uh yes yeah, so we're working on it it's not like a unicorn that you'll never see but it's gonna it's gonna take some time so that guy skis hard yeah he's pretty nuts I just, like, I watch his stuff, and I'm just like, dude, you ski hard. Yeah. You know, you watch some skiers, and he's, you're like, finesse. Yeah, he's the hardest skiing guy on the team, I think. Like, it's just as, he doesn't, there's, like, no slow, no, it's, yeah. He's, like, the closest thing to, like, hate fuck the mountain I can think of. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good way to put it, I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, impressive. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a really solid skier. So we're excited to have him on the team. Okay, a couple more questions. Um, are slash when are you guys going to come out with soft goods? So obviously uh, soft goods have been a little rough for us. Uh, we will finally have some sort of line dropping in the fall. Um, basic stuff, just hats back in stock, t-shirts. Uh, most of our time is spent worrying about building skis. So, but we definitely, uh, definitely need to get on the soft goods game a little bit more. We we did we tried like a big push in twelve thirteen, and we just like ended up losing a shit ton of money. Um, so, we're uh, we're trying to get back on the horse this year. So it seems like given that you're into bidets, like maybe you should have like going through P ascots or like berets, Those something are like that. Definitely happening. Yeah, ascots. I, that's pretty Portland. Huh, yeah, see? I, I like, yeah, I definitely know someone who has those and wears those. So yeah, that Perfect. could happen. Perfect. Um, another question from Foley twelve twenty one. When do two thousand seventeen models go on sale? What month? So customs, so top sheet swaps, and some other options are going to go on sale like mid to late May, um, and then stock. Just normal production skis will go on sale probably like late August. So once they're available and in stock. So that's the tentative schedule. Cool. Um, how did the Cartel 108 float and pow, carve, and how buttery are they? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would be a bad blister reviewer. Um but uh, hopefully, maybe someday we'll, maybe we maybe we can feel that yeah, question Yeah, yeah, we'll give it a week and maybe Blister can answer for you. Okay, um, awesome. What has been harder than you thought it would be about running a ski company, and what has been easier, if anything, uh, than you thought it might be? Uh, easier is a tough one. Um, Harder, I mean, I was a ski builder in college, right? And now I run a ski factory, and those are very different things. Um, you know, and I think especially year one, um, the difference between building skis in your garage and producing skis, which, like, I still, we were functionally just a glorified garage builder in year one, I mean, you know, was really hard because, you know, I didn't, there's no basis for, you know, uh, that we had at the time, um, you know, facilitating production, right? It was like, you know, you just, you put this part and you make this part and it's like, when you do that on scale, it's like, holy shit, this takes a lot more time than we thought, right? So getting to the point where, 
we can say we have this many hours in the day, this many people, and we can produce this many skis consistently was really hard, mm-hmm. you know, and we're still improving that, right? So um, the transition from just building skis to uh, running a factory was and continues to be very difficult. Um, easier than expected. Um, I mean, not much has been easy. Um, there's been, I don't know, I've found some like really good people to help build this with me uh, in that, you know, that maybe is not easy necessarily the term, but just lucky. Lucky, yeah. <laughs> lucky to find, I mean, we've got some, the guys here now, like all are really good and, you know, really dedicated to this. It's their project as much as mine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think got lucky. I mean, personnel are hard. Like, we've definitely had turnover, too. Um, I think, you know, this goes to why it's more difficult. Like, a lot of people want to um, work for a ski company and be, like, the guy at O3P. I've said this before, and it's like, yeah, well, we run a factory. So just so you know, being the guy at O3P is building skis all day long. And if that's not your passion and, like, you just want to be the guy, and then, like, this is not the job for you. So, yeah. Yeah easy i don't know skis are good that <laughs> wasn't easy but um it helps uh selling a product when the product's good yeah so hmm. yeah the role of teams uh at companies um where are we at with teams and their i don't know what's interesting about teams uh do we do we think there's a increasing importance of them uh diminishing report importance does it totally depend on the brand you think <clears throat> it like depends how... on the brand and what the teams function i mean the, the hard thing right now is that it's not like um 10 years ago when like who who were the skiers 10 years ago everyone knew right it was like cr and shane and and candide and tanner hall and stuff right so like you had a smaller group like there's so many good skiers now that like i I will see people and I'm like, oh, that was sick. Who is that? And I've never heard of them all the time. Like, I don't know a lot of the other athletes on other teams right now just because can't keep up. So um, I think, you know, the importance necessarily of like getting that guy is less than it was. I think like what we look for is getting the right guy, right? And it, for our brand. So it's, um, you know, we want people who, I would say like, I try to add people on the team who ski like I wish I could ski sort of, if that makes sense. Like, we want people that, like, you know, maybe they're not the most technical or they, uh, you know, but they have their own style and you can see, like, I really, like, I can watch a video of the Android team guys and say, okay, I know, you know, I mean, that's Magnus or that's Carl, you know, or that's Kutcher. Like, I can tell their style. I think that's really important. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think teams are, teams are hard also because um, you've got to get people to buy in, say, to what your brand is asking, but say they're on another brand. Right for outerwear, and then the other brand wants something different. So, um, you know, they're balancing. You're balancing a lot of factors. Um, you know, and a lot of people just want to ski, right? And that's great if we're like flowing you a couple skis a year. But there's a, you know, when we're you're a paid athlete, you're an employee, and I think, you know, we've definitely, you know, sometimes you have to like remind people. It's like, yeah, I'm, you know, you're you're a you're paid to do a job. For our brand right and you know that and involves work sometimes when you don't want to work so it's interesting to kind of see like who's hungry and who understands that um you know we're asking 
for your service, basically. We're paying you for your time to be an athlete versus, like, yeah, it's sweet. I'm an Olympic athlete. I just go out and ski, which is bullshit, basically, you know, if you're paid. So I think that's interesting to kind of figure that out. Um, you know, it's taken a while, and it's, you know, teams always kind of, you know, kind of developing a little bit. Like, we're really happy with our team right now. Um, like, we don't – we have a sponsorship account, which basically is just, like, a depot for emails because, like, we get so many sponsorship emails, you have no way you can even go through them. Um, but, uh, yeah, and as, as far as building the team, too, like, we only go after people. We go out – like, we like everyone on the team, basically, we've gone out and been like, hey, we want you on the team. Um, you know, so kids asking, like, how do I get sponsored? Like, make a name for yourself. Get a social media presence. Like, give us a reason to contact you because – like we're inundated with emails say, hey, you know, I'm the best skier on my mountain. Like here's my, you know, I placed second in my local rail jam comp. And it's like, it's, it's like, that's great. You're a great skier. We have 10 of these at every mountain, right? So give us a reason, you know, make yourself marketable and, um, you know, give us a reason to give you money basically. So that's what, uh, it's interesting to see the kids that understand the business side a little bit, even if they're, you know, just like teenager at this point. So, hmm. yeah. Interesting. Anything else? Um, you get to ask me one question. What's what's been the hardest thing that you've had to get get over? You think? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, like two everything, everything, yeah, yeah everything. Like... I I mean, dude, it's it's a relentless schedule, right? Like publishing lengthy reviews basically every day like we do especially with all the commas that you have to add exactly that's terrible yeah especially because people yeah we're still working on commas um at, at blister but uh it's it's a relentless schedule and and you you try to keep a bar high you know and um uh you know, you're just always, like anybody in any business anywhere that's worth their salt at all, right? Like you, every day you're trying to do it better. And um, so there's always going to be that, it's always in a way going to be hard, right? Because you can always try to figure out the new way to do do your job better. Yeah. So Well, it's always on you too. I mean, that's the big thing is that like you can't, like you can't check out a day, yeah. right? You can't, you know everything kind of leads to you so if you stop or you know get behind you're the one who has to dig yourself out so but like you said i mean working with good people and being lucky you know um yeah i mean having people who give a shit goes a long way yep um so yeah it's definitely helpful yeah um yeah so that that i think yeah kind of similar answer but like that's the stuff i think you feel most grateful for the smart people who really care and are willing to grind and and give you their best um you know and that that's part when you said you're talking about people want to be the head of a ski company but they don't actually want to go to work in the factory every day it's it's amazing to me how many people contact us, you know, with really impressive resumes. Um, and I have no doubt they're amazing skiers or mountain bikers or, or climbers. But to to do this stuff at a really high level, which not saying we do, but we're, we're certainly trying. I mean, it is, there's a whole lot of 
are you willing to grind? And I don't think a lot of people want to work that hard, you know? And I kind of think that's what your point was about you got to come in every day and and be on point. Yeah, I mean, this this industry is interesting. You know, it's an interesting, like, it's not normal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people get by just kind of being bro-bra and, Mm -hmm. you know, I am the guy, and it's like, sweet, all right, well, we're going to go build something, have fun being the guy. Um, yeah, you know, and that's fine. Like, some people are well-suited for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, if you, I mean, especially, like, we're manufacturing. Like, that's, we're a manufacturing business. That's what we do, right? So I think people sometimes have this misconception that it's like, you know, we're going to come in and talk skis all day and stuff like that. And it's like, no, we're going to build skis all day, right? So you know, build, like, get out there and build them, uh, you know, and you, it, the, you know, the key to, like, having good manufacturing process is the same step, the same way, over and over and over and over, right, and, you know, that's why we have, you know, a, like, a, I mean, got to be well over a thousand step standard work, right, because we want to know, say, if any issue comes up ever, right, we can pinpoint what step failed, right, and why did that step fail, yeah. so that's really important, yeah. so. Um, by the way, one other thing that is like, strikes me like that is tricky in some sense about the gig is jumping from one ski to the next Mm. ski. And this just cracks me up increasingly. Like the whole, like, we're going to run a ski test and like you get one run on a ski and then you're going to write something on a note card and then go do the next ski. Again, I, it just re, uh, reaffirms for me all over. Like when, literally, when I'm skiing, if I'm reviewing these like skis mine, mounted at like minus ten, minus eleven, fully directional skis, if the next ski is like mounted at minus four, there is absolutely like kind of a palate cleansing that happens over the next like several yeah. runs, sometimes a couple days before you even get like make that adjustment. And it just cracks me up, but like, cause often the first run, if I switch like that, it's like, there's no way I should be saying anything about this ski, you know, yeah. in that. You'll see that at demo days. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, oh, I love the ski. And then like, oh, you know what? Actually, that wasn't the right ski yep. because people start to like actually use it. Do you have like a cleansing ski? Like a, like, is, the, is it the babies? Like the, no, you know... no, it really, there are reference skis, I okay. think that at this point, depending, you know, what's the ski and, and in a lot of the categories, you know, we start stacking up if it's, you know, if it's a 85 to 88 underfoot, you know, well then what kind of ski is it? Is this a really, is this supposed to be a burly charger or is this a little like take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit, a little more chill. Then I think about like, what are the better skis like that, that I've been on? And, and those are the ones that I'll kind of go to. So it's, it's not about so much getting back to a kind of center line. It's about getting the adjustment to a new style of ski or type of ski. Yeah. And it's just hilarious to me. The idea that, that you can just jump one run on one type of ski and go to the, some other thing, it, it, it's completely absurd. Um, and the more, the longer I do this... The more absurd it seems. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but... And then there are then there are definitely the days where you're just like, it's scary, right? Like if you are skiing somewhere and you happen to be above some consequential stuff, 
and you're like, I don't know what this ski can do right now. Or like, mm. I got to bang one turn, like straight line 15 feet and make one turn. That's all I got to do. Not a big deal. Except I don't really know how this ski handles. Yes. And that There's stuff, there yeah. are definitely days where you're like, what the hell? You know, can I just be on the ski that I know and like and feel comfortable on? And so that that is also kind of a... That's not always the most fun. People are often like, this is amazing. Like, you get to be on all this new product. And it's like, sometimes you really do just kind of want to ski what you know. Well, on that note, um, I should let you get back to building stuff. And um, and we actually are going to get on the road to uh, get over to Bend. And um, we're going to start putting some time at uh, Mount Bachelor and, um, uh, and putting some time on some Renegades. Um, which we're excited about, and uh, see how they measure up to a few other new skis that we've brought with us, or a bunch of other skis we have. Yeah. And uh, how many pairs do you have? Uh, I don't know what the count is currently at. We're I think at nine or ten, which is amazing. Again, that, uh, that I can't a believe you can get one ski in that car. I know on ten pairs. Yeah, it's a little. It is. We're back to like. There's literally like a ski edge in my jugular when we're driving and. Side like can't a shop brag so that doesn't go poorly for right, you. Right, <laughs> right. And side apparently can't see the the uh, speedometer because um, it's in like a weird place in the in the car. He's so moved out of position he can't see it. Well, it's like to the right, and we've got a big ski uh, bag like just blocking that. So it's a low vis kind of situation. But just uh, go with the flow. Just go with the flow. We're gonna just yeah, we're, we're gonna point it and get there, but. But it's been cool stopping, stopping by and, and seeing the factory, and it's always fun to, to yeah. talk skis. And uh, I'm glad you were able to make it out. Yeah. And, yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks for coming by. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Scott Andrus for the conversation and to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, who kind of looks like Han Solo in this jacket he's wearing, Justin Bob. Until next week, check us out online at blisterreview.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Blister Podcast in iTunes. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week.